Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So do you think Bruce Arians underestimated the turnaround time for the Bucks? Should the Bucks have played more zone against Russell Wilson to help their defense? And are we starting to see Jameis Winston's maturation? Who are the candidates to replace Willie Taggart as coach at Florida State? We've got all that. Your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. I'm back from Seattle. What a long trip that is. Um, I don't know how the players feel, but I'm I'm pretty tired of, uh, of traveling. It was... Uh, the gorgeous uh, conditions up there, gorgeous day uh, to play football and, and an entertaining game. I don't, you know, I was kind of into it watching it and trying to write about it, but man, that was some uh, some exciting football. And of course, the overtime rules being what they are, the Bucks lose the toss. I think they'd have had a pretty good chance of going down there and scoring a touchdown had they won that one. But um, that, was, that was a good game, I thought, overall. And, and we'll get into uh, some questions about the Bucks, about their defense. Obviously, Jamal Dean got exploited uh, by Russell Wilson. Not a surprise there, but um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, this trip. And um, you know, unfortunately, if you're a Bucks fan, I know you don't feel too good right now because your team is two and six under Bruce Arians for the first half of the season. And you know, seeing Bruce after the game, he thoroughly looked not defeated. I mean, he was he was proud of his team, the way they kind of stood toe to toe with them, but. Um, as he told us, he goes, I, I've, I've never been here before. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what two and six feels like. Um, so it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not a record he's accustomed to. And, um, you know, they just haven't been able to get any kind of momentum whatsoever. But we'll get to some questions here in just a minute. But uh, first, some news and notes. Uh, USF basketball begins its season tonight against Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's but hard they to believe will be college missed. basketball is already starting. I know it's uh, what are we? We're just barely in November already. Yeah, November fifth. Wow. But yeah, yeah, college basketball is here. Yeah, I just I don't really between you know with all that's going on. Of course, college football, the NFL is really getting hot right now. You know, Major League Baseball, the World Series was just over. Hockey's kind of in full swing. I'm not ready for college basketball. I'm like, I think it almost has to be in in the spring before I start really paying attention to them. Sometime late January or February. But, yeah, it's here. They play Arkansas Pine Bluff. But they're going to be missing Alexis Yetna, uh, who was a very good player for them last year as a redshirt freshman, 15 points, nearly 10 rebounds a game. He suffered a season-ending knee injury, I guess, in practice on Friday. So that's a big loss for the Bulls. That's a really big loss. I mean, USF is is deep on the wings and at guard. They don't have a lot of depth up front. Um, Yeah. And so this is a this is a huge loss for USF. Who you remember last year they won the CBI uh, tournament. Yeah, uh, all that momentum impressive. at the end of the year. Yetna was supposed to, is going to be a big part of this team this year, and, and for him to miss the whole season now, um, that's a huge loss for Brian Gregory's team. So we'll see. You know, my guess is they're going to have to um, go a little smaller at times, and, and mm-hmm. maybe not quite go so big, and change kind of some of the style of play that they do sometimes because um, he's such a big part of this team. 
Yeah, tough break, especially this time of year. You lose a guy who's got 15 and almost 10 rebounds a game. Uh, also, uh, in baseball, uh, while I was gone, Kevin Kiermeyer won his third gold glove. Um, KK had a really good year. He, uh, I thought he would hit a little bit better, but, but he had some big hits. He had some clutch hits throughout the season. Avoided, I guess you would say, Steve, the biggest thing was he avoided that catastrophic injury for the most part. Yeah, well, he won his third gold glove. He didn't win it the last two seasons, and mostly mm-hmm. because he played less than 100 games in those seasons. So right. um, of the seasons he's played at least 100 games, it's three straight seasons he's won the gold glove. And, and mm-hmm. you know, look, he is the best defensive center fielder in, in baseball. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Mike Trout's up there, and, and Byron Buxton this year was had a really good season defensively, and there's others, but uh, Kiermaier's the best in, in baseball right now. I mean, when you can be uh, a gold glove winner over Mike Trout, that's really saying something. There's some other Rays that are up for some big awards coming up here in a few days. Kevin Cash is a finalist uh, for the manager of the year. No surprise there. I think he deserves it. I also think that it might go to Aaron Boone, um, but that remains to be seen. Uh, but don't forget about former Rays coach Rocco Baldelli. I mean, what he did at the yeah. Twins this year, they were not expected to win the – the, the central division and and you know obviously they got beat by the Yankees in the playoffs but the voting's done before then so what he did in Minnesota was incredible this year too he'd be very deserving of it uh, as would Kevin Cash um, so he's manager of the year candidate Brandon Lau is a finalist for rookie of the year despite a number of games boy Brandon Lau probably would have hit about 30 35 home runs um, had he stayed healthy he missed what almost more than a month, right? With uh, oh yeah, shin injury. He was pro- he probably had a legit shot at at, at winning the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this award. Had you know, had he played a full season and had he continued on the same pace he was on, but uh, he's not going to get it with that, missing that much time. But still, to be honored, missing that much time and still to become a finalist, that says a lot. And this guy, I'm glad that he's at least uh, a candidate or a finalist. Charlie Morton is a finalist for the Cy Young. Um, this the job he did. Uh, you know, at, at one point, the only starter I think that was actually healthy that began the season, the number of innings he logged, the strikeouts, and just his consistency, and what he brought to that pitching staff in terms of work ethic and guys following him was was uh, was remarkable. I mean, they got every dime out of the what 15 million or so they're paying him. But um, Charlie Morton is a finalist, and he won't. He probably won't win. He'll take right, third. Probably, He'll take third behind yeah. Verlander and Cole, and I I think right. it'll go that order. Although if you if the postseason counted, it would be Cole then Verlander. Exactly. Yeah, Cole did very very well, especially in the postseason. But um, but again, an honor for him to uh, to come through. You know, when you spend, it's not like the race to spend that kind of money on any player, much less a pitcher. And then they do, and he goes out there and is every bit as good as they had hoped, if not more so. So, Well, just think, the, uh, all three of those pitchers were on Houston staff last season. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Those are the finalists for the, the Cy Young this year. Wow, that's crazy to think about. It really is crazy. So, yeah, that's your uh, kind of your news and notes, and we've got lots of questions, of course, many of them on the Bucks, as you might expect after Sunday's loss at Seattle. Um, I'm just getting back from there. I'm a little tired myself, but uh, we're going to press through. The uh, the marathon is over, so to speak. The Bucks will host the Cardinals on Sunday, so it'll be nice wait, to have wait, a home wait, Saturday. Wait. Raymond James Stadium hosts a football game. They're going to have a football game in it, and and surprisingly, it won't be the XFL before the Bucks play again. It'll be the NFL. I don't know who's going to show up. Do per you, se, I, are you, you know. going to need to put the address in ways to make sure you can you know get to the <laughs> yeah. stadium? You know how to get there still. 
I do, and I and I uh, I, I tell you. Home Saturdays are precious. We have three road games left, and one is a drive probably most likely to Jacksonville because it's hard to fly in there. Um, so I'm not looking forward to that. And then they have one game at Detroit, and then, of course, um, they have a game. They have two games against Atlanta, but one of them being in Atlanta. So those are their three road games. And, um, you know, based on the travel we've already had, that's that's like a walk in the park, Detroit being the furthest one. That's not going to upset anybody. I thought they had good energy, though. I was impressed with, you know, them coming out Friday, um, you know, sort of had the bye week and, and got a little bit of rest, but then, uh, you know, having to jump back on an airplane for seven, eight, seven, eight hours, something like that, they came out fast. They came out hard. They came out energetic, and that, that was good to see. So I don't think, at least to the naked eye, it's cumulative, right? But to the naked eye, it looked like, um, they were very much into it and, and ready to go and, and played fast and all those things you'd hope they would do. But it did take a bite out of them. I mean, when you consider that the only game they won during that stretch, um, you know, from their last home game was the 55-40 to 40 win at Rams. And, of course, they blew a number of games, not the least of which was Tennessee, that proves against, you know, that they're not very good um, as they lost yesterday but or on Sunday. But, um, you know, so uh, the schedule turns, and, and uh, they don't have that many road trips, but, uh, but it has, I think it has taken a toll. But we've got lots of questions about the Bucks. Let's have some questions about Willie Taggart in Florida State. Let's get started. All right, we'll start with the positive and less ask. Was Sunday's game Jameis Winston's best? He looked very in control to me, and I saw him throw some passes at the feet of a receiver because there was nothing there and he wanted to avoid a sack. I would re-sign uh, this Jameis Winston. Are we on the cusp of his maturation? Well, um, they hope so, but then they they've been here before, and then it's gone. It's slid backwards a little bit. But I do think that he played his best game of the season overall. You know, the the, the game he had against the Rams was was similar, but he did have um, you know one I think at least one interception that that proved to be pretty costly. But uh, he protected the ball with the exception of the one time. Um, they got pressure on him, and Donovan Smith got pushed back into his arm. It looked like the ball just came out of his hand, but his arm, his elbow was actually hit by Donovan Smith. But, man, he he, he stood toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson, who was in every bit uh, the NFL's you know MVP and maybe a favorite with 22 touchdowns and one interception. And, you know, Jameis was able to go up and down the field with him. Now, um, a couple things – I kind of would have expected that going in simply because Seattle does not get to the quarterback, even though they have Ziggy Ansah and, you know, a number of good pass rushers. They have not done a very good job with that. They only had 13 sacks going into Sunday's game, which was like tied for 25th in the league. So when you can sit back in a very young secondary playing behind them and pat the ball, any NFL quarterback is going to carve you up. I mean, they, they're all in the NFL because they can throw the football. Uh, it's the decision making and the split second timing and you know avoiding pressure and all that that changes things. But uh, he played as good as he's played, and and that's what they hope he kind of does every week. I mean, they didn't win the game. You know, they gave up another third quarter uh, lead. They you know the defense was unable to hold them, but he played winning football. You know, when he was called upon, he got him out to a twenty-one to seven lead. Um, you know, rallied back and. Um, you know, got the game tied, and when they missed the field goal, it went into overtime. But uh, I thought it was Jameis' best game. And, 
again, he's got eight more. They're going to take all the information all the time they can and then just weigh, you know, where they're drafting, who are the available free agents. Can they really, really do better than Jameis Winston? Because we know he's going to get paid, and that's that can be problematic too if you think that there's no one in the NFL besides yourself that would come anywhere near close to that, you know, to that magic $25 million number. Um, but I thought he was at his best, and uh, it's unfortunate that they weren't unable to win the game. But in that environment, with what was on the line, with them really needing a win, he played big. And if he can come close to that the rest of the season and not sort of ride the roller coaster, uh, I think you'll see Jameis Winston back here next year. All right, Buck North asks, do you think that Jameis Winston wants to return? You know, I'm I'm not sure. It's a great question, and I and I wish I knew the answer. I think I know the answer. I think he does want to return. I think he wants to prove uh, to all of Tampa Bay and maybe to himself and certainly to his coaches that he is the guy here, that he can make it here, and he's not the reason they lose, but that he can turn the Bucks around. and And I think that would mean a lot to him having, you know, really gone through a, a lot of scrutiny for five years and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears poured in the organization. I think he, I think all things being equal, he would prefer to be here. However, there has to be people in his ear, family members, uh, maybe agents. A lot of people has to be in his ear saying, look, it's not you. And if we can get you to a, you know, a more traditionally winning franchise where you can step in, you know, on a good team, because remember, you know, when you come out of the draft and you're the Heisman Trophy winner, you've won a national championship, you get picked first overall, but you didn't get to choose where you were going. You 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 were chosen by the worst football team, you know, in the NFL. Don't you think Jameis Winston would like the opportunity to choose for the first time where he plays? I do. So there has to be at least a part of him that says, you know what, to hell with the debate, I'll go somewhere else and I'll prove to the world not just the people and the fickle fans in Tampa, but I'll prove to the world um, what kind of quarterback I am and that if I'm with a, a team that has a good defense that can stop people or a running game, um, I can absolutely be you know, a Super Bowl or a championship quarterback. So that has to be somebody on some level has to be preparing him for that. And I think he is prepared. I think if he moves on, you know, he'll do very, very well. But, you know, right now, uh, I I would lean towards him wanting to finish here, to finish the job, you know, once and for all, and get his team into the postseason and and see if he can't, you know, make the team that drafted him fulfill his promise and turn that franchise around. That has to mean a lot to him since he spent five years doing it and putting up with a lot of the scrutiny. All right, David asks, do you think Bruce Arians underestimated the turnaround time with this Bucks team? Yes, I do. And, you know, it, it's easy to do on the surface, I think, although, you know, shame on Jason Light if he wasn't honest with him because Jason knew this team better than Bruce did. But Bruce said it from the start. He goes, you know, this is a reload, not a rebuild. And the fact of the matter is, at least on one side of the ball, it is a rebuild. I mean, you know, they, they kept mentioning, and, of course, Arians got this wrong. He said six. But they did have five rookies playing on defense at one time or another on Sunday. You know, Anthony Nelson, uh, the defensive end from Iowa, outside linebacker rather, he went out of the game, you know, fairly early. I think he might have played five snaps. 
But a giant core of that defense were all rookies. And as great as Devin White might become, he's still making mistakes. He's still getting his injured knee under him. There's a lot going on there. The secondary is so young. You know, you drafted three guys, and, you know, now that MJ Stewart from last year is benched and then you had the injury before the game with Carlton Davis, boom. So, you know, they they played five, mostly four, but sometimes five rookies on defense. And, you know, they have a historically awful defense. I mean – they, they can't hold a lead. They've had the lead, I think, in the fourth quarter three or four times and can't hold it. And, you know, if he had known that the defense was where it apparently is, I don't think he'd have been, you know, quite as bullish about what, he, what impact he thought he could have. But regardless, it's all about Jameis. And on that side of the ball, you know, even with Byron Leftwich calling plays, and I've been critical of him, you know, they've scored more points in eight games than they ever had in the history of the franchise. So you can't go around saying, well, you know, the offense is bad or, you know, the coordinator doesn't know how to call plays because, you know, quite quite frankly, he does. And But I, there's no way, and, and I think Bruce said, you know, I've not been here, there's no way that he would have envisioned himself being two and six at the midway point. I absolutely believe that um, he thought it was going to turn around like it had in Indianapolis as the interim head coach, like it had in Arizona. I thought he, he probably believed he was going to turn this around quickly. All right, we got two questions kind of on the same path mm-hmm. here, so I'll kind of combine them. Ren asked, did the defense, defensive coaching staff do enough to help out Jamel Dean? An easy rod follows up. Do you think the Bucks should have played more zone and less blitzing to stop the crossing routes? The blitzing wasn't getting home enough. Well, the answers to that is uh, – no, they didn't do enough to help Jamal Dean. And that kind of plays into the blitzing a little bit because I think it was the most that Russell Wilson has been blitzed in probably five, six years. You know, um, I think it was close to or over 70% of all the snaps he took. And, and good quarterbacks invite that, you know, because that means you got man coverage and they just have to spot it and get the ball out of their hands. From that standpoint, I, I think they did blitz him too much, and I think that's the reason why he had five touchdown passes. Look, um, teams just don't come after you like that. And, you know, this team plays the run. They get people to third down, and then here comes the double-A gap. And, you know, if you're getting home again, great. But you'd much prefer to rush four guys. And they, they, they just haven't been a very consistent team. They did sack them twice, I think, on, on Sunday. Um, but – yeah, I, I think you can really you could help out your defense if you would switch it up a little bit and not put those guys on an island. You you can't cover guys for as long as Russell Wilson held the ball. You just can't, and it's not it's not a fair ask. And I thought they competed. Um, you know, Dean had like we said four passes defense. They only had six on the game. He did make some plays, and some plays were just tremendous throws by Russell Wilson. Um, but there has to be a mama bear. You can't, I mean, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I get that. But, you know, they, they, they really aren't helping their secondary right now, which is getting shredded. I mean, I would never have believed that Todd Bowles, under whatever circumstance, would come in here and would be giving up more points through eight games, you know, on average than what last year's historically crummy defense did. I mean, this was not supposed to be the way it happened, but... When you see that many young guys playing at once, 
Forget what Bruce said. You know, don't believe the audio, believe the video. And the video says they're rebuilding on that side of the ball, and they're doing it with a lot of the young guys they drafted this year. Well, you mentioned the points per game, and so Les asked, it's hard to believe, but this D is giving up more points per game than last year. Is it possible Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith took the fall for a complete lack of talent on that side of the ball? Well, they weren't talented on that side of the ball. But then again, you know, at least in the case of Dirk, and to some degree I'm sure with Mike's input, they, they picked the players. You know, you had Gerald McCoy. You know, you went out and signed all these defensive linemen um, that you thought would help you. And some of them are still here like Bo Allen. Uh, and some of them are not. Um, you know, JPP had a big year. That's what. That's what. Sort of what you do is you know you trade for players when you don't don't have enough up front. And this year, it's a little different. They're trying to do it a little differently, but it just hasn't come together fast enough. And I, I just don't think the talent was ever there. And they've tried to spackle it together, not having JPP hurt. You know, they were able to, uh, you know, to, to find Shaq Barrett, which was just a great discovery. But all these guys are going to be free agents. I mean, outside of Vita Vea. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, he's your core defensive lineman. The rest of them could all go someplace else for the most part. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, just what the plan is going forward. And, and you know, I assume they would try to re-sign Shaq, but... Uh, this is this is a team that still needs a lot of pieces on that side of the ball. Well, Damian asks, the Bucks finally have bookend pass rushers, but JPP and Shaq Barrett are free agents at the end of the year. A good way to help that secondary is a pass rush, and since they're hell-bent on never drafting pass rushers high in the draft, what are they going to do? Well, I think they're going to try to sign Shaq Barrett. I don't know that they'll be successful. I don't think JPP comes back in part because he probably wants to go to a contender and, and, and I think the price tag will be too high. They, they had a chance to honor his contract for next year. They voided it out when he had, you know, the neck injury and that was sort of the trade off. And even now he's kind of being, you know, paid as he goes. So they're, they're going to have to, to, you know, use both. I mean, you have to go to free agency, try to lock up your guys and Shaq Barrett. And then, you know, it's it's time. I mean, you've only drafted Vita Vea, you know, is the only meaningful, you know, top five, you know, rounds of defensive linemen. I know they got Anthony Nelson coming back, who's a promising young guy from Iowa. But really, I would say almost on both sides of the football on the line, they're going to have to really go heavy and address. And w- whether Jason Light has, you know, is averse to it or not, I mean, you don't want to reach and take a guy that's not worthy of a top 10 pick simply because you have a need. Um, but between the offensive line and the defensive line, I think that's where they need the most help. And boy, I'd be surprised if they did anything besides, you know, besides those positions. Well, Mike asks, the Bucks have spent a lot of draft picks on defensive backs the last few years, and none of them seem to be better than average players. Are they just poor selections or is it more to it than that? 
it's hard to know a year ago, you know, how much of that was scheme. I mean, you had Brent Grimes, who was pretty much checked out. You know, Mike Smith played a lot of soft zone. Guys can somehow get confused. And, and you know, Justin Evans was still playing before he went on IR this year. I mean, so there were a lot of a lot of factors. Uh, but But clearly – you know, they didn't think that the that the corners they had here a year ago were quite good enough, or the three that they drafted a year ago were quite good enough. You know, Carlton Davis and Jordan Whitehead and MJ Stewart. I mean, MJ Stewart now has been inactive for two straight weeks, and that's not a good sign if you want to, you know, sort of hold out the draft class and say, you know, th- this was our need and we addressed it. Um, I think Bruce Arians begged to differ. I think he turned on the tape and said, yeah, maybe Vernon Hargraves can do some things, and we'll give Davis a bite of the apple. Um, but they really like, you know, Sean Murphy bunting, and and Bruce Arians, you know, on Monday, you know, sought him, sought his name out to praise him. Uh, you know, they like Jamal Dean, you know, who they got in the second round. I mean, um, and then you know, Mike Edwards was was and is a starter. He he had some setbacks with some injuries. Um, but they think these guys are better than the last guys. And, um, you know, I think that's that's sort of the way it's going to be. But you can never have enough defensive backs. I don't think that'll be the priority simply because they've drafted so many in the last two years. Um, but I, I think they'll also be better than average because, you know, I, I still always go back to this Rondé Barber. Rondé Barber was one of the worst corners I have ever seen. And I'm not exaggerating. I was like, where did they find this guy? And he played in one game, didn't play again until they got to the postseason, did a nice job against Brett Favre, you know, and, and the rest is history. So sometimes these guys just need experience. You can't give it to them. You know, they come out of college, you can't, you know, input it into them. They have to actually go out there on the grass and make mistakes, and that's sort of the phase they're in right now. Um, but these guys are pretty resilient, and I think they're going to be better for it. It just may take a little time. All right, Josh asks, the Bucks have the biggest coaching staff and one of the highest payrolls, and they have one more win than a team who traded their best players and are openly tanking. How is someone not fired today? <laughs> I laugh because I love the way the question is phrased. <laughs> um, Miami is tanking, and they screwed that up and won. And so now it's uh, Cincinnati. Your, your Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. I'm guessing, Steve, they'll take a quarterback. I don't know. Well, considering they've benched Andy Dalton and he's uh, ticked off, they haven't traded or didn't trade him before the deadline. Look, um, I kind of addressed this on Sunday. If you read uh, my notes column in TampaBay.com, I I don't know why, you know, Bucks fans or people in Tampa Bay can't have nice things, but they really can't. And, you know, there there is there is something about about this franchise and – They've done a lot of things as far as firing coaches, but it just hasn't come together. And the biggest staff, I mean, that, that was one of the demands, you know, that Bruce Arians had. And, and and the Bucks, I mean, they hate to negotiate with terrorists, but, I mean, they gave they gave Bruce everything. And, you know, a large, large, largest coaching staff they've ever had, uh, sports science division that they spent a million dollars on, weren't, didn't make him call plays you know, the golf cart thing to help him get off his feet and stuff because um, he's had some health pro- pro- uh, problems. So I, I don't have a great answer for you. I don't know why heads aren't rolling except that you'd like to you'd like to think the guy might need more than half a season to turn something that's been pretty awful for 11 years around. 
but but it feels really no different than you know when Dirk Cutter came in or you know a lot of the rhetoric is the same when you know Greg Schiano came in I mean there, you know there's only so much you can say when it's not working so as far as guys getting fired the Glazers have been very patient I mean Mark Dominic was here for five years had a whole record and now Jason Light's record's even worse and you know, he's got a four-year extension that marries up with Bruce, Bruce Arian. So he's going to be here for a while with a, a club option after that. Uh, I, they're not firing people because the Glazers really want to have someone that they know and someone they trust. And they don't know a lot of people outside of One Buck Place. Um, they are owners and they do go to meetings and, and you know, sort of hang out with them at times. Um, but they run their business very privately and I think, you know, at some point it might hurt them because you need people to help you identify sort of who the best coaches are. And, you know, again, not not to disparage, you know, who's coaching there now, um, but it's been a problem in the past about just the way they go about their business. And I and I don't know why why no one has been fired, but I don't know where you would start either. All right, Twin Kane asks, do the players or coaches give a crap about the fan base? feel there is little empathy from this team towards its fans. Most of them seem to recognize or appreciate the time and money put in by the fans as we watch another disappointment. Seems like a big disconnect. Well, there probably is a disconnect. Um, you know, there's a disconnect with the media when they lose, too. Uh, you know, for example, on Monday in the locker room, there were very few guys that were there. Now, you know, they got in late, and some of them probably got in and got treatment, and maybe some decided to sleep in if, that, if that, they were allowed to do that. I I think I think that fans confuse who's you know who's underneath the helmet with that they're buddies you know or that they're many times you know they represent Tampa Bay but many times these guys are more often than not from other parts in the country um, and and the other thing is this is their job I mean you know, we talked about this how you know. It's cool because, you know, fans come out on the weekends to blow off steam and, and all that. Well, these guys work really, really hard, you know, Monday through Friday and, you know, walk through on Saturday and then pour everything they got into it for a game on Sunday. And if it doesn't go well, it's very disheartening. I mean, it's physically and mentally draining, and that's sort of where they're at. Um, they've got enough on their plate. I think they love the, I think they love playing in front of fans. I think they – you know, I don't know anybody that, you know, doesn't give a quote-unquote crap about the fans, but it's their job. I mean, you know, it's what they do. It's not who they are. And I know that, you know, fans want them to, you know, they invest three hours on a Sunday and, and their money, and maybe that's all they got. But these guys, these guys are in a different, you know, they're professionals. And professionals can still give you a ton of effort um, and, you know, maybe not – feel like a fan feels um but it's important to them to win and uh, I, I don't I just don't I don't buy you know professional athletes not caring of course they care now do they are they fanatical since the word fan comes from that I, I don't know that either unless you know there's some reason to be it's just it's their job it's a good job you're paid not to play but you're paid to win and you know that's sort of where it where it stands, I think, for most teams. Well, doesn't this go back to the old? And we talked about Miami tanking, but the players yeah. aren't tanking in Miami. 
No. The players no. care. They they care about the fans. They care about their performance. They're trying. They care about their careers. I mean, mm-hmm. look, the worst team in the NFL, let's say let's say the Miami Dolphins, I mean, there's 61, 60, 61 jobs open open there, right? If you want to be in the National Football League, if you're on that team, you're thrilled that you're in the NFL for the for, for the most part. Now, you you know, you're probably envious that maybe you don't have all the pieces together. Um, but yeah, man, it's uh it's an honor to play, you know. Yeah, and they can't like I said, the players don't tank. They're caring, they're trying. No. Now, the Bucks as an organization has not put out a winner out in what, eleven years? Going or, or on more twelve than, years yeah. with no postseason. Yeah. Right. I mean that, that's you know, and, and how many players are left over from that that time? None. I mean, the whole None. roster has turned over many times for the most part. That, That's true. You know, that may be more organizationally than it is, the, the say, the players on the team today. Right. Right. I think that, I mean, they care about winning, and I I think they do love their fans. I think if you, like, I saw, um, talked about a disconnect, but I saw an Instagram photo of Devin White was kind of cruising through the mall at International Plaza, and some fans spotted him, and he, he took a selfie. I mean, these are all these are all pretty good guys. Uh, and they are citizens of Tampa Bay and try to do things to help others. And um, I, I know I get why fans want them to, you know, cut their wrist and bleed a little bit for them and they feel better. But, you know, it's just it's not the job. It doesn't help you do your job if you sort of become that emotionally attached. All right, we'll switch gears here. And Mike asks, who are the candidates to replace Willie Taggart at Florida State? Do you think P.J. Fleck would be a good candidate? I think he'd be a great candidate. I think he'd be maybe the best candidate. Um, I remember P.J. Fleck when he was on Greg Shiano's staff as a wide receivers coach, and I'm not sure I saw a guy that had more energy than him, and it was authentic, and players respond to him, young players in particular. So I'm not surprised he's doing what he's doing, um, you know, wherever he's been now at Minnesota, and I would think that – I would think his name – don't you think his name would come up pretty prominently under any coaching search? I would think if you're looking at the you know younger up-and-coming coaches, he's probably name number one on that list. I mm-hmm. think you know you might have a Mike Norvell at Memphis. Love Mike Norvell. Uh, a Brent Venables at Clemson. Another good one, yeah. Uh, you know, names like that. I, I don't know if P.J. You, you even your went, first call, but – Well, I mean, he may not be, but you even went as far, and this might be – you even mentioned James Franklin. Uh, Matt Baker brought him in his column. I mean, look, he's at Penn that? State. He's a great recruiter. He's been in, he's been in the SEC before, uh, yeah, at, at Vanderbilt. But he's a great recruiter. You know, coaching in an area where, you know, Pennsylvania doesn't have a ton of talent. There's some right. high school talent there, but you know, he's competing with the Ohio State's, who you know, Ohio's got a lot more talent than Pennsylvania does. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you come down to Florida where there's a ton of talent and he's a great recruiter. He might be a perfect coach for Florida State. Now, that's assuming he wants to leave Penn State. Uh Matt Baker right. brought up Brian Kelly. If he wants out yeah. of Notre Dame, if he's finally done enough there. Uh, I think Brian Kelly does want out of Notre mm-hmm. Dame. I I think he wants to go to the NFL. I would be surprised he'd leave Notre Dame for another college job unless it's just eating him alive. Mm-hmm. Which is possible. You don't know. I mean, Mark Stoops names come out. Um, a former Florida State defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bob Stoops' name always comes up. He's going to be coaching the XFL team, I think, in Dallas. Right. Uh, I don't know if he wants to get back into, you know, college coaching full-time. I mean, they'll have no shortage of candidates. 
um, you know, still a, still a strong brand, and they still have talent there. Uh, I don't and, know how fast they'll come around to, to doing it. And I doubt he would take the job, but how do you not call Urban Meyer? Yeah, you have to call him. I, I, I doubt he would take it too because I think Urban likes to get invited back to Florida for you know to hold sure. up the trophies and and celebrate. And the same is probably true um, at Ohio State. I, I mean, you said this for the podcast. I don't see him going to Michigan. You know, mm-hmm. um, that would be kind of weird. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. It's it, it's really it's a great question. Well, rooting for UF follows it up, and he says. I'm surprised the two coaches currently in the state haven't been mentioned for the job. Thoughts on Jim Levitt and Josh Heupel. Why aren't they on the list? Well, Josh Heupel should be. What he's done at UCF in following Scott Frost, I'm not sure anybody anticipated he could do that as well and in some cases improve upon it. And, um, you know, he, he probably he probably should be on that list, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I think he's one of those coaches you're definitely looking at. I mean, I think – you know, some may say, "Well, he didn't build the program; Scott Frost did." I, I don't. True. I don't buy that argument. But um, you know, and even this year, you know, of course they've got two losses, but you know they're 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 on their backup quarterback from who they were supposed to have this year. Um, right. You know, I, I think he definitely would be on any list you're looking at. And Jim there Levitt, Jim Levitt's a heck of a coach. We know what he's done at USF. There's some baggage mm-hmm. there, and and mm-hmm. you know. Just do you want you know, you know Kendall Bryles was another name we didn't mention. Um, That's right. That, that obviously he's the offense coordinator at Florida State, um, but that name has some baggage too. Now whether he's actually guilty of any of that, who knows? But you know there is there is some of those things to think about too. Yeah. Well, again, Florida State deserves a good coach, and I hope that I would expect there'd be plenty of interest in that job. You know, Matt Baker brought up a good point too, and and. You know, I asked him last night on the podcast about, you know, the timing. You know, why do it now? Is there advantages to this? And, mm-hmm. you know, he said there is, and a lot of it's for recruiting and with the early signing day now. But the other part of this is this is the third time in 40 years Florida State's looking for a coach. Wow. I mean, they don't do wow. this very often. So they're not good so, at it. Well, it's, <laughs> they just, you know, this is this is not something they do very – now. they've you know, done it a couple times now with Taggart – the last few years but i mean think about that how long between bobby bowden jimbo fisher and then taggart now you have an opening but you know they don't hire coaches very often here so no and i'm, I'm being serious about and maybe not you're not good at it because when you've got you know bear bryant or bobby bowden or joe paterno you know you haven't really been out there you know you haven't really necessarily been canvassing the field and maybe you're not as good at it as you're going to be maybe you do swing and miss a few times makes sense right mm-hmm. it absolutely does all right carl asked will jim levitt get a head coaching gig again at a major level or will he be relegated to a small school aka normandale gene hackman <laughs> um boy i hope so i you know there are there are certain things that can stain you um as a head coach and jimmy went through some some awful stuff you know um at usf but he's come back and he's been successful as a coordinator everywhere he's been he deserves it i don't know if he'll get it um you know i always say this have the press conference right like who's trotting out all the newspaper stories by brent mcmurphy you know um you know in this day and age I I don't know 
you know, he's a good enough football coach. Somebody should have offered him a head coaching job by now. But for some reason they haven't that we know of. And I think he I think he'd be terrific, but I I don't know. I don't know that he will be. I, let's put it that way. I mean, he could. I would imagine some of the lesser programs, you know, I mean, Lane Kiffin is at FAU. Um, I could see Jimmy, you know, coaching at that level somewhere down the road. Hopefully he gets a bigger job. You know, I, he may go to the NFL. I mean, we don't know. Jim's going to have lots of options, but, you know, selfishly, you'd love to see it. Some great questions. Uh, appreciate those. Hope I uh, answered them or we helped answer them for you correctly. I know I'm a little little jet-lagged right now trying to fight through it, but uh, but we appreciate you guys submitting those. And you don't have to wait for a mailbag. If you have a question, you can always do that uh, and send it to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. On tomorrow's show, we have the lovely, the talented, uh, the effervescent Chris Torello from Bay News 9 Spectrum Sports 360. That's a mouthful. He'll be with us. And then, of course, uh, on Thursday, we'll talk some more college football. Willie Taggart's firing. Who are they going to hire to replace him at Florida State with Matt Baker, the Times beat writer, college football beat writer. Uh, he'll be on Thursday. And then Friday, a uh, little combo action here. We've got uh, Diana Nero's from Sweden, where she's been yeah. spending time and hanging out. Yeah, boy, with the – You'll betcha. Don't you know they're waiting. Actually, that's, that's like Minnesota. That's like Wisconsin. Um, yeah, well, that's they're all I, from Sweden. Saint, yeah, they're all from Sweden. Norway, so right. Sweden, you know, it's all Finland. Yeah, they're Nordic, Nordic people. Um, yeah, so we'll have her, uh, you know, on there as well as uh, myself and Eduardo Encina. My buddy Cop will get you ready for the Bucks against the Cardinals. And this is at Raymond James Stadium. For those of you who have forgotten how to get there, Where's we'll the provide stadium directions. At? Yes, we're going to give you directions. Arizona renamed um, their stadium? No, no, they're actually going to play in Tampa. They're going to play in the in the greater Tampa Bay area, and they are not going to go on the road. They're going to sleep in their beds on Saturday. I'm telling you, precious how precious home Saturdays are. Uh, it's just it's just going to be terrific, and the weather's going to turn nice. We're going to have a little cold snap over the weekend. It's a little warm right now, but things are looking up. Things are definitely, definitely looking up. So, we got good shows planned for you this week. As always, we're here Monday through Friday. We appreciate your questions. We appreciate you listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 